Merry Christmas Eve, or Happy Christmas Eve. I don't know which one it is, so I often just say both. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, had parents? <laughs> it's all of you, right? It's a trick question if you're kind of, you know. Um, and, and your parents may not be around anymore. Uh, your parents may not have been good parents, but you, you had them. You had them. Now, if you had good parents, um, I tend to think that the message you're going to hear this morning is one that your parents want you to hear. Um, if you're my kids, hypothetically speaking, this is a message I want you 
to hear this morning. Um, you know, one of the questions that we find ourselves asking from time to time is the question, am I loved? Am I loved? Uh, and for many of us, it's an easy question, and we just kind of mindlessly answer it with, yeah, I'm, I'm loved. I'm loved by my spouse. I'm loved by uh, my kids, my parents, my friends all love me. And, and so it's an easy answer. And for some of us, it may even be an emphatic yes, that we're just really aware of how much uh, we have love in our life and in our good relationships. But there are some of us, and there are some seasons when we're asked that question, and you might be slow to answer you might not be sure. You might not be able to confidently say yes, and maybe you're in a point in life where you can confidently say, no, I'm not. And for those people, and in those seasons of loneliness, it's a gut-wrenching question. That, that for some of us, we hear it and we kind of go, yeah, why? That for some of us, it's a, a moment of kind of an agonizing uh, questioning of our relationship with others and, and where we belong and how we fit into this world, if you don't know the answer to that question, am I loved? And even when we know that somebody loves us, there's some of us that, that might be here today that are like, oh, I know people love me, but I don't know if I'm actually worthy of their love. I don't know if I deserve the love that, that I've been given. Even if it's, it's by your parents, you may think, I they had such high expectations of me and where I am today. I, they may love me because that's what moms and dads do, but I don't know if I deserve it. And so the question of our own worth echoes out of the question of whether or not we're loved. Uh, and, and so often in our world, we live in a world where people wound us, people hurt us. We disappoint people and people disappoint us and it hurts our relationship with them and theirs with ours. Uh, we live in a world where people tear us down, where people attack us. They may even just ignore us in ways that make it easy for us to question the value of our life, the value of our soul, the value and purpose of, uh, of who we are and what we mean in the world. And so how then should we, uh, in a world that has all these challenges, in a world where we, we find ourselves asking these questions about whether or not we're loved and whether or not we're worthy of it and whether or not we have value, uh, when we ask those questions, where can we go to get a better answer? Where can we go to get a true answer about our value? Um, Leah's in real estate, and so she gets appraisals on houses all the time. And the way that you get an appraisal on a house is you go and you compare it to the houses that are right around it. So you kind of crowdsource using other properties nearby and say, well, they were worth this, so a house is worth that. It's kind of based on uh, who you're with. Uh, but today I want to think about a different kind of appraisal. I really want to think about how art is appraised. Now, because I think that gets closer to thinking about how we as people can think about ourselves. You may remember a story uh, that Nathan told, I think it was this year on our senior Sunday. Uh, he says, listen, there, in our lives, there are people who we choose to be our appraisers. You and I have people, there are some people that say uh, to you, you're awesome, and you think, I believe you, and you take them at their word. There's some people in your life uh, that say you're awesome, and you think, yeah, your opinion doesn't mean very much to me. And the opposite is true, right? There's some people in your life that say, I think you're not worth anything. I think you're trash. And we think, man, I trust your opinion on that. 
And there's other people that say, hey, I think you're, you're garbage. And we think, yeah, I don't care what you think. Your opinion doesn't mean much to me, right? So we give people the power to appraise us and tell us what our value is. The story Nathan shared earlier this year is about a father who says to his daughter, you've graduated with honors, so here's a car I bought you many years ago. It's pretty old now, but before I give it to you, I want you to take it to the used car lot downtown and tell them I want to sell it and see how much they offer you for it. So the daughter went to the used car lot, returned to her father and said, they offered me $1,000. They said it's worn out, it's dirty, it's dusty, it needs work before they can resell it. Uh, it's not worth a lot. And the father said, well, then try the pawn shop. See what they'll give you for it. If you've ever been to a pawn shop, you know how this story is going to go. The daughter went to the pawn shop and said, they only offered me $100. They said it's an old beater, it's not worth anything. They don't even know if they can resell it. So the father told the daughter to go to the car club down the street that was meeting and show them the car. The daughter took the car to the car club, showed them the car, and came back to her dad and said, there was some people there that wanted to pay me $100,000 for this car. It's a Nissan Skyline R34. It's an iconic car, and it's, it, many collectors are after this car. They can't believe that I had it. And the father said to his daughter, the right place values you the right way. If you are not valued, don't be angry. Realize you're in the wrong place. And go find the people that will assess you correctly and give you the value that you really have. Those who know your value are those who appreciate you. Never stay in a place where no one sees your value. Uh, writer and speaker Susie Shepard tells a story about how she was, uh, on, as growing up as a kid, she would have never really had that core group of good friends. And, and she was kind of friends with everyone, and she would mingle and, and hang out with different people. Uh, but she didn't have those friends that she said, these friends love me, and I love these friends. And she tells a story about how one year, the first week of school, she's walking through the cafeteria, and this group of girls says, hey, do you want to sit with us? She says, yeah, I would love to sit with you. And Susie begins, every day, she automatically would go and sit with those same group of friends. And as the year went on, they became her people, and she was part of their group. And that sense of belonging and friendship and community that she had never known became automatic for her. And so towards the end of the year, one of the girls said, hey, you guys all have to come over to my house for my birthday party. And so Susie goes over to the birthday party and she's playing with her friends and, and she has this sense of being welcomed that she'd longed for for years. And she talks about how they started playing hide and seek at the party and they're playing out in the backyard and they're hiding and she had a great hiding spot. But after a while, she thought, I, I don't hear anyone else out here. And so she comes out of hiding, and she starts looking around, and they're not in the backyard. And she says, oh, they must be hiding or playing in the front yard. And so she goes to the front yard, and she can't find her friends. And so she says, oh, they must have gone inside. And she goes to the door, and she chose to open it, and it's locked. And she says, oh, they must have gone in the back door. That's where we were. So she goes around to the back door, and she goes to the knob, and it's locked. 
And as she tries to open it, she hears giggles on the other side of the door. She was locked out. She wanted to be inside with her friends, and there she was on the outside. She wanted to be included, and here she is excluded. And she talks about how for years after that, this experience kept her from really opening up and connecting with other friends. In, in her dating and other relationships, that fear that she would trust someone and then find herself locked out again kept her from connecting with people. It kept her from being willing to invest in other relationships and letting other people uh, invest in her. You see, what Susie did on that day at that party is she allowed those girls to become her appraisers. She allowed those girls to tell her what her value was, and she believed them. She believed from that day forward for years until she became an adult and started working through some of this uh, trauma of this youth-filled experience. Now, now, the girls in the house probably just thought this is a funny prank and, and, and didn't think anything of it, but for her, it wounded her deeply. And it changed how she appraised herself because she let these girls be her appraisers. And if we think back on our lives, we can relate to this story because we can all think of a time that we felt locked out. We th can think of a time that, that someone that we thought we could trust excluded us and pushed us away. And we can remember the hurt that comes from that. We can think of people who made us think that we were unlovable that we were unworthy. Uh, and those people, for us, became the used car lot that said you're worth a thousand bucks when you're worth a lot more. Those people in your life, in your memory, were the pawn shop that said, I'll give you a hundred bucks for your value, but you're not worth very much to me. And we take those memories and those moments, and, and, and the challenge that we all face and we are almost instinctively bad at doing this, is that you and I have to choose the right people who love us, encourage us, and increase our value and reinforce our confidence and trust their appraisal more than the people who lock us out. That's right. But it's hard. We almost instinctively do it badly and choose the louder negative voices than, than the often louder or sometimes quieter loving and encouraging voices. The memories of the people who tear you down get more weight in your mind than the thousands and thousands of times your parents said, I love you. Those moments just become part of the, the hum of our, our memory and our history and our life. But it's these moments that, that yell at us of, of you don't matter, of you're not lovable, you're not worthy, that we turn the volume up on and play on repeat in our minds. And we allow them to become the appraisers of our value. We listen way too much to the bullies, the failed relationships, Amen. the broken experiences that, that challenge us. We let the hurt of divorces and breakups, we let the times that parents failed to love us matter more than the people who do love us. When adult children reject their parents, it becomes the appraisal of their value. When people tell us we are failures, all of these instances of brokenness, the time you got fired is more of a memory than the day you got hired. 
And we let those experiences of pain and hurt and, and devaluing of us matter more than all the weight of the things that add to our value and that appraise us as being infinitely worthy. So we're going to go back now and talk about appraising art. If you remember, we kind of mentioned that earlier. The way that art appraisers uh, evaluate the worth of something is, is this. It's based on the principles of, of RIP, R-I-P. Is it rare? That's the R. Is it rare? Uh, so the question you need to ask, you know, if, if there's a painting that's one of a kind, it is more valuable. And I don't know if you know, um, if you go to an art studio, you may see that a lot of the paintings are copies, but they have an, an imprint number on the bottom. So it may be number 28 out of 150. Uh, that is an, a copy of the artist's work, but it's a special edition copy of which there will only ever be 150 made. And that may be the 28th. Well, that's more valuable than, say, an artist who makes 500 copies because it's more rare. And so this is true when it comes to us as well. Are you unique? Yeah. Are you special? Are you individual? Are you rare? The Psalms writer tells us that God knit you together, uniquely you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Uh, Psalm 139 says, for you created my inmost being. God created the innermost parts of you. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Are you unique? Absolutely. God made you special. God made you different. And we often think of different as being a bad thing. It's a good thing for you to be you. God says in, in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And the idea isn't there of my plan for you is just like everybody else's. My, my weaving together of you is to make you just like other, all the other humans. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, I'm not very good at talking. And God says, I know what you're good at. I made your tongue. You have gifts and abilities that God gave you that he didn't give to the person sitting next to you. The bad news is he gave them gifts and abilities he didn't give you. But he made us all different. Scientists estimate that the way that the human genetics work is that if you only take into account your appearance, not your personality, not your gifts, not your talents, only your appearance, your appearance is, is so um, genetically and mathematically unique that you are one in a trillion. That if a trillion humans were born, one of them would essentially be your twin, just mathematically. Um, we live in a world with like, what are we up to now, eight billion people? I, I'm not gonna get into the math, but just so you know, one, tr one in a trillion is a lot, 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 lot more than one in eight billion. You're not going to run into your twin tomorrow. All right? 
Amen to that. That is good news, isn't it? One in a trillion. That's how rare you are. So are you valuable? You bet you are, because you're rare. You're unique. There's not another one of you. And that one in a trillion doesn't take into account the stuff on the inside, your personality. If you add that, there's no one in the history of Earth that's just like you. You're unique. And that increases your value. The second thing that that art appraisers look for is, is it irreplaceable? Can we find another one? Can we just, if this one goes away, is there another one that we could just slot in and, and carry on in the same way as we have in the past? Here's what you need to hear. If you're wondering if you're worthy, here's what you need to hear. You are irreplaceable. You're completely irreplaceable. Your family needs you. The people who love you need you. Your community needs you. This church needs you. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not very important to this church, that's because you have failed to invest in this church, and we're waiting for you to do it. To become the irreplaceable person that God created you to be might mean that you need to do more and engage more, but you're created with the, the intent of being completely irreplaceable. There are no throwaway humans that can just be gotten rid of and replaced with another human. God created us with, with the purpose of us becoming irreplaceable. The family is there so that we experience how much we matter. And, and you may have grown up in a family where you didn't feel that way. But that wasn't God's plan. In God's view, you are irreplaceable. There's a song by a, a, a group called Casting Crowns. Uh, Matthew West helped him write it. The song is called Nobody. And here's some of the lyrics to this song. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quites. With all the other never get it rights. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Moses had stage fright. When David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me saying, who do you think you are? I just say, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Isn't that a great song? The song keeps going, but here's the thing that that you need to hear. If you're here today and you're thinking, man, I I think I am pretty irreplaceable. It's because you're not living into God's purpose yet. Because God has a long history of taking underqualified nobodies and doing pretty incredible things with them. And so he's got a purpose and a plan for you to step into, to live into your irreplaceable reality. God made you on purpose with a purpose. You may not always feel it or know it, but God knows and the people who love you know. 
that it's completely true. What's your value? Are you rare? Absolutely. Are you replaceable? Absolutely not. And the third thing that helps you determine your value in the art world, and it's true for us too, is how much will someone pay for it? Just the simple math. You go to an auction and the highest bidder determines the worth of a piece of art. And there's people that pay crazy amounts of money for some really bad art in the world that we live in today. But once they've paid it, that's what it's worth. So what's the most that someone would pay for you? What's the dollar amount? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Parents, what is the dollar amount that you would pay if someone took your kid hostage? What's, what's the dollar amount that you say, listen, I, I'll pay this much to get my kid back, but not a dollar more? Do you know that number? You don't have a number for that, do you? If that's true for us as parents who are flawed, how much more of our Heavenly Father who paid everything to get us out of our hostage situation? So here's what you need to hear today on Christmas Eve is this, is that, that 2,000 years ago or something around there, Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. He's, he's in community with the Trinity. And Jesus, in that moment, made the choice that he was going to come here. He was going to leave heaven to come to earth. Any time I think about what that would have been like, um, and this is kind of goofy, but it gives you a little window into my weird brain, uh, have you ever seen the old animated version of Aladdin uh, where Robin Williams is playing the role of genie and he talks about how the genie has cosmic power, can do all things, there's nothing that is not possible for me. However, itty bitty living space. And he shrinks into the lamp. And when I think about what it was like for Jesus, the Son of God, to be in heaven, in unity with the Father and the Son in ways that, that blow my mind and I can't even get my head around. But he was there and he chose, because we know that he was there in the beginning, the Word created in the beginning. And, and he has the power to create the sky and the stars and, and all the things that were in it. He has the power to breathe life into you and to me. He was there when he knit the people into uh, being in, in, the, in ways that I can't even understand. And he left it. Come down here. He left all of that power to come to earth and learn to, to walk. To cut his finger. The one who spoke creation into existence needed band-aids. He gave up all that power and came to this world. This is the, the Christmas story more than anything else. Is that Jesus left all of that to show us how to go back to heaven where he came from. He left all of that to walk and to talk and to suffer, to deal with every temptation, to experience every grief that we know in this life. Why? To pay the price. The price that ultimately calls him to be obedient even to death on a cross. That ultimately results in him being resurrected. So that he then can say, if you're in me, this is your value. I gave everything. I left heaven and went to the cross to pay the price for you to be set free from your hostage situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Why pay that price? First John tells us this is why he paid the price. Uh, Dear friends, let us love one another. This is an instruction for us. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Christmas. He sent his one and only son into the world. But that he loved us and sent him, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's the price he was willing to pay. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So how do we know that we're loved? Here's how you know that you're loved. If you were here for the first part of of the sermon and all you heard was, I don't believe this guy. I've allowed the appraisers in my life to tell me I'm not worth anything. I've allowed the appraisers at the pawn shop to tell me I'm just a trash person who doesn't have any value. Here's the thing. If God created you rare and unique, if God gave you a purpose that makes you irreplaceable, and if God was willing to pay with his own son for your eternal life, then you have infinite, unbelievable value. R.I.P. Value. So the choice we have this Christmas is to choose which appraiser we're going to listen to, which one we're going to allow to give us an internal value based on the inputs they're giving us. So let me ask the dads in the room. Okay, if you're a dad, just let me ask you this. Dads, do you want your daughters to listen to the jerk boys and the mean girls Do you want your daughters to say, I'm going to let these people set my value. They're going to be my appraisers. They're going to to beat me down and tear me up, and I'm going to do all kinds of crazy things to try and, and earn their approval because that's who I trust to determine my value. Because if the answer is yes, they're going to do terrible things to try and get it. Dads, do you want that for your daughters? And moms, let me ask you, do you want your son's value to be determined by the jocks and the jerks and the bullies and the girls that tell them they're cute or not cute or whatever, that they're not worthy of relationship and break their hearts? Do you want them to get their value from those appraisers? No way. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today, you're a son and daughter of the creator of the universe. And if we, who are flawed parents, want our children to listen to his voice to to get their value, to Jesus' price to get their value, how much more does God want you today to stop listening to the detractors, to stop listening to the haters in your history, the people who've disappointed you in your life? You let their voice matter more than the Son of God? We've got to quit doing this. We've got to start trusting God that he loved us enough to send his one and only son. 
so that we can be saved. If that's true, then you have incredible value. The gift that God is offering you this Christmas, the gift that's there, and it's your choice whether you open it or not, that's up to you. The gift is on offer to you this Christmas to know that you have more value than you could ever imagine. But you've got to receive it. The way that you receive it is by trusting God more than the jerks. If you need to respond today to the invitation to be part of the family of a God who loved you enough to give his son, to send him to this world so that you could go back with him to heaven for eternity, if you need to respond to that today or anything else, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.